Sure. But uh, now let's get into a couple of details about that team and about, you know, your time at RP also, at least in terms of coaching us. Like, so that first year you acknowledge, you know, you get those first two years is like you're building a program, you're building a team, you're trying to stamp your blueprint on the, on the program. What was that like having to go through that in the beginning? Oh yeah. That was, you're asking me how, how it's different than Clements. And that, 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 that's a big difference, right? Cause Clements is just so established. Like it opened like maybe the eight, you know, somewhere in the eighties, I believe, you know, and so it, it had been around, they'd had some success in the past. There was tradition. Um, and you know, and things were trending upwards, right? I mean, even when I got there, I got there for 13 to one. So my, my best season ever was my first year. Yeah. And then as we maybe get to later, my, my, la- my worst season was my last year. So that was kind of a cool uh, dichotomy there. But um, it was all kind of set. Like my first year at Clemens, I walked into a gold mine. Yes. You know, and it was just awesome. And Ridge Point was different. I mean, it was nice that we were drawing from Elkins and Hightower, which are two, it's just, it was a great attendance zone of just talented players like yourself, you know, and um, so we had that going for us, but it's very hard to start. It's very difficult, you know, because you don't have any tradition. But that's the cool part, too, is you get to kind of set the tone. And so we had to do really a good job of setting that tone. But um, it, it's not easy because when you start a new school, like players, as you know, players, good players, a lot of times will make their varsity programs as sophomores, you know, like really talented players. Like I, I was not able to do that in my career, but uh, you, you did it, you know, your, yourself was able to do it, you know, and uh, what happens is when you open a new school and you've got kids that were playing on varsity as sophomores at Elkins or Hightower, like they're not, they don't necessarily want to come, yeah. you know, they don't want to forfeit, like having to play. And th- that's something, a sacrifice that our first class made is those guys had to play JV as juniors. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like they're, they, they got one year of varsity play where they were getting that high-level competition in the, the film, you know, that, that they could kind of show for college coaches. And, um, and that's a sacrifice. And it's not – you know, I, I understand players that would want to stay at their respective schools or, you know, things of that nature. So that, that's a sacrifice. And plus, you're getting – you're bringing in young people that have not been the leaders of the places they're coming from. You know what I mean? So you may have been a sophomore at Elkins, and all of a sudden you're a junior at Ridgepoint, and – you weren't the man at Elkins. You were a younger player. You're a younger player in the program. And now you're the oldest player. So you skip a couple steps, right? Like, I mean, you, you were able to go that normal, you know, a sophomore to a junior, you got a little more of a leader. And then as your senior year, you kind of blossomed into even more of a leader, you know, and they weren't able to have that same process. They had to go from nine, uh, nothing to 90, you know, in a sense, like, and And that's not easy. And I can speak to it being in the program. Like it's crazy. You're bringing the coach's perspective as a player. I didn't know that you guys couldn't get those varsity guys from Elkins and Hightower. And when we're talking about those two schools, those are two big name schools, even for Fort Bend. Like when you talk about like Fort Bend football, Fort Bend ISD, first off, Fort Bend produces a lot of NFL athletes. And Hightower and Elkins is a big rivalry and a lot of talented players have came out of there. So now you're not only fighting those programs, you're fighting the names too. What I want to go to this new school and. That's a great point. That's a great point, Obi. And you remember, you remember like kind of the, I don't know, my disrespect that Elkins had for us early on in that rivalry. And because we were just seen as the new kid on the block who didn't the new belong. kid on the block. Maybe, you know, it's a really kind of a nice Siena plantation, really nice neighborhood. So maybe people felt that we were kind of like entitled or had a silver spoon in our mouth, yeah. you know, relative to the other place, things like that. I mean, I could feel that was kind of the perception. Um, you know, and so it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, I think at the very beginning, Ridgepoint wasn't a place that people like wanted to necessarily go to. And we had really low numbers 
mm-hmm. at the beginning. I mean, if you ever if you ever do get to meet Coach Snippet again, I'm sure he can tell you this story of like me and him literally we called every single male mm-hmm. at Ridge that was going to be at Richmond High School on the phone, every single one of them, wow. and asked if they wanted to play football. And we would we would drive around. I'd drive around Siena in the summertime and like show up at the door and try to talk to parents. And like we literally were just recruiting everybody, you know, at, at the high school level, like every single able-bodied male, you know, was being recruited for the team because the numbers were so low at the beginning. And that's, that's common in a new school, man, that, that first year, you know, normally I would teach four classes. Like when I, when you were with me or whatever, I had four classes. I'd teach. That first year I only taught three. Mm. I had an extra off period. I'd, I'd go shoot basketball with coach Arsenal in the gym. <laughs> it's actually, that's a little funny side story. I never told you before, but there was so few students yeah. We couldn't fill a class schedule. So I had three classes. They were all very small. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's the way it was. Cause it, you know, we were growing into that building, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so th- th- and I, another thing I would tell you, if you ever get a chance to go back to the field house, you know, coach LaFavors is now the head coach. So you're still yeah, welcome. No, I saw him. You know, uh, he, he would, he'd love to see you, man, go in there. And if they still have it, look at the first coach Sniffin always had it in his office, but the first picture of the Ridgepoint football team from the very first year we played, we played sophomore level football. So basically like JV B team level football that first year, look at the picture. Yeah. And there are, it's just, it's just crazy how far we've come oh. from that to, you know, when you, when you finish there. Yeah. It, it was always insane. Just seeing us build a program from scratch. I was not, it was not foreign to me being a part of a new school or a new program because I mean, like I said, the elementary school I left or the last elementary school that was brand speaking. It was his first year. One of the middle schools in my area was a brand new middle school that had just been built. It took a lot of students from the uh, middle school I went to. The same thing in junior high. Then in high school, um, you know, kind of the same thing. Parallel High School is an established, you know, high school at the time. And I was supposed to go to Dawson, which was a new school on the block. And, you know, I was getting that kind of like, oh, you don't belong type of narrative about me even in junior high. When, when you would tell kids like, oh, I'm going to Dawson. It was kind of like, ah, psh, yeah, you're less than us. Kind of what yeah. Elkins yeah. would do to us. And that's why, like, when I would hear that from them, I'm like, ah, okay. Like, I'm, I already dealt with this. Like, okay, we're just going to have to deal with this part of being a new kid. And so, you know, and I also understood, like, having to build a program from scratch. And that's why when you would tell me certain stories, I'd be like, yeah, I've seen that before. I've, I've had that happen. I've had coaches who've done that. And that's why I could always relate with what you guys are trying to do. Um, and then talk about also next is, you know, having to get the buy-in from the players, like, into in what you guys are doing, right? Because there's guys who are coming from these other schools, other programs. They, they're knowing how to do things a certain way. You don't really have leaders established. So now you're having to really create them. So what was that like? That's a great question. Um, you know, at first – you almost kind of have to sacrifice a couple of things when, when you, you need to run a successful football program, you kind of need numbers. Yeah. And like I said, we were just recruiting everybody. And so I think at the beginning we had to maybe be a little bit more lenient with what we would tolerate. You know, if, if there were players that maybe weren't doing some of the right things, you kind of had to, maybe you were a little bit more forgiving because you, you just needed the numbers to, to run a successful football program. But then as time goes on with each and we had good players in the first classes as well. Like I don't, I'm not, I don't want it to come across like that wasn't the case. But there's the, the, the amount, you know what I mean? To to really take it to the next level, you need a lot of players. So there's like super competition. Yes. You know, like in your grade, there were so many good players. Like we had backups at Ridgepoint that, that could start all over the place. 
You know what I mean? We had players that were not able to touch the field that were great football players or not, not you know, consistently like they, they you know, they, they were, they were in backup roles, but they were awesome players. And that's good though, because that means you as a starter, you know, your position is not safe. Ever. You know, we have other guys that if, if things were to go sideways and you, if you were to slack off, like we can, repl- every, you're replaceable at that point. You need, you just need that level of competition. And so that, that's what was tough early when you have so few. So that, that when, I, when I'm talking about the, the beginnings, Rich, how tough it was, it wasn't, it, it's just that the, the numbers were so low. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's what I want to get across. You know, I mean, the kids were great. I mean, they, they were the foundation and that really kind of set the tone. But as you get each new class, you gain you, it's strength in numbers. You know, you just get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And uh, that's when you could really start seeing the difference that we were going into more of a, from being a startup program to like a, a fully functional system. Yeah, so now talk about what that uh, developing of the system was like as far as getting more numbers, because I was there to watch it unfold. And, you know, now you're having a little bit more leeway. You're having more autonomy and more power to kind of run things the way you want them because you're getting more kids in the pro- into the program. You're getting move-ins. Rich Point's establishing its name as a, uh, you know, as a program. So now you're starting to be empowered. But with that comes, you know, now – I can rule with a little bit more of an iron fist. I don't have to tolerate the same things. So what was that, go- you know, what was going on with that? For you? That's correct. And that's a great point you made. That's another thing that I just thought of is like, you go from like kids that started at Elkins and Hightower and maybe, I'm not saying this was the case, but maybe some of them didn't want to go to Ridgepoint for whatever reason at, at first. To now, fast forward a couple of years, you've got kids that grew, were at Baines Middle School and they've always wanted to be Panthers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they never went somewhere else. Or may, and, and, and Bucky Richardson did a great job doing that at Ridgepoint Fort Bend Football League. Mm-hmm. And so we start now we're starting to have young kids mm-hmm. that are wearing the Panther colors and like they're dreaming of going to Ridgepoint. So that, that's when it really starts changing is now you have people that definitely like that's their dream is to play for Ridgepoint. So that, that was another thing I just wanted to point out that helps. Um, but you're right. Once we had enough competition, enough numbers – it got to that point where if, if there was someone that wouldn't do it, I mean, I remember, I remember coach Stephen having that conversation with me one off season that he just felt like Kovo, you know, we're there now, like all that hard work, all that, like building the program. Like we are at that point where it, it, I feel good about where it's going. That's, that was his great strength. I feel if coach Stephen was a program builder, yes. uh, he had a really good job of seeing big picture stuff. You know, I think that's where he was extremely strong. I wish I had maybe a little more strength of that early on in my career at Aldean as a head coach. You know, I, I need to learn that. And, um, you know, he, he could see it, and he did a good job building. And uh, I remember that conversation, and he said, at this point, don't tolerate. You know, let, let people – we move them forward. If, if they won't do what you're asking, stop giving second chances or this, that, or, you know, it's just it's – yes or no? Do you want on or not, you know? Um, I, I know Marshall High School has been great. And Coach Williams is an awesome – James Williams is one of my most respected coaches. Mm-hmm. He's just phenomenal. He's got a great coaching staff. And they have a, they have a hashtag. This is like hashtag BMF. Mm-hmm. And I, I never – I didn't know what that meant. You know, I was like, I, what does that mean? You know, and I, I remember asking – I asked one of the Marshall coaches, yeah. and it says it means bus moving fast. And what that means is the bus is going to go with or without you. Yes. And that's the point, you know, that we got to, right? And so that, that's why Marshall has been so great is they've just adopted that mentality like, hey, this is the way we're doing it, on or off. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what you know, we did. And every good program does that, you know? And so that was just a kind of a cool saying that, 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 that uh, encapsulates that. But, that's, yeah, be, that's, that's what started happening, man. We just we kind of got to that place where Coach wanted it, and it just started rocking and rolling. 
All right. So now you don't have to deal with so much building the program. Now you have it. Um, now you're starting to try to gain some respect as a coaching staff and as a, and you know, for what you guys are doing and players are buying in. Um, and now you have varsity football. All right. So talk about what that, those years of, you know, coaching varsity at this point was like for you. And, and man, I, I don't, I don't remember when coach and I had that conversation, but I don't think it was before we started playing varsity football. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was the. I, I, I think it, I think that first varsity year we still weren't quite there yet. I think he had that conversation with me after. So because you asked me, it's like you know things are going the right direction. You got it how you want it, and then you have varsity football. I would counter that that timeline isn't accurate. Mm-hmm. I still think in the first varsity year we weren't there yet. You weren't there. You, this is before, I guess you were a freshman maybe or something. This was like the the very first uh, varsity team. Mm-hmm. I was there. I was, I was a sophomore. You were on the first one? Yeah, I was on the very first one. I started. Uh, I think what happened was we played that season, because I'm, I'm remembering it again. We played that season, and I'll never forget, okay. Sniffin had a conversation with us before offseason began. He was like, look, the first year we got rid of selfish people. This year we got rid of selfish seniors. Now you're either in or you're out, and that's just the way things are going to go from here on out. And I was just like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm sorry. Okay. You're right. So, but that, that first year we weren't there yet. I don't think, I don't think we'd had that conversation because we, we didn't play well enough. You know, I felt like the, a big jump happened in that second year. I, I remember that like going into your junior year, that first game against Clear Creek, coach Stephen had very high expectations. So I think it was in that off season preceding that, that he felt really good about it in the direction we were going when, you know, your class of 2015 were juniors. He felt good about that core and that nucleus and uh, we didn't deliver against Clear Creek. And I remember that was one of the, that was a long night. I mean, coach, coach brought us back and he told us, you know, he just told us, uh, he brought us in for a meeting in our defensive film room. And he just said, Hey, that we're better than that. And we just kind of had a meeting where we decided what we were going to do going forward. And we ratcheted up the intensity even more. We, I remember a change we made was going live, good on good to start practice. Mm-hmm. And that's something we continued to do. Yes. And that was a great, I think it was a great decision that coach made. You know, and because uh, I guess after a tough loss, you can kind of lick your wounds and back off. And but that's not the direction he wanted to go. He 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 took a risk by when we were down and wounded, he went even harder at us. Yeah, he tried Again, to I think it's kind of that. Do you want to be here or not? Yeah. And so people that maybe didn't want to continue to embrace the grind, maybe would fall by the wayside. But he was able to find the ones that were dedicated through that method. And uh, I, think that, I think that's what happened, man. So, yeah, you, the first varsity year, we were still figuring it out. We, were st- we weren't quite there yet. And then into the second one, yeah, we, we improved quite a bit. Yeah, I think it's, it's the whole saying of, you know, when you have coal, you put it under immense pressure and you see who's the diamonds that emerge out of it. I think that was what was happening. Um, look, we have talent. But clearly our talent isn't doing justice. We need to build ourselves up mentally, and that's the next step. And I think that first game against Clear Creek, my junior, I remember it because it was – that one bothered me for some time because it was like, what happened? Like, we really didn't know what was going on. And, uh, yeah, I remember that Saturday practice. He brought us in Saturday, full pads after a loss, and it was that's just right. intensity like you had never felt before. You're tired and – that was the point, and and that was the thing. Like, okay, after a tough loss, who's going to, who's going to pout? And if you're going to pout, go ahead and get out of here. And you know, who's going to say, look, we went through a tough loss. It's time to overcome the adversity. 
And um, yeah, definitely. I think after that Clay Creek game, it was that it was the butt kicking we needed, you know, just to, to sort of wake us up and not let us, you know, rest on the loss for too long. Like get out your system, let's go. I agree. So we get through my junior year. We have a good season. We go nine and three. We have our first, you know. I'll get through this after actually. We go nine and three. Then we go through that off season. Now my class is seniors because you've always spoke highly of my class specifically. What's the mentality going into that last season and just your last year at Richmond, honestly? Yeah, um, and I didn't know it was going to be my last year. I mean, going in, I had no idea that uh, that developed later. But, you know, it just kind of felt like I felt confident. Yeah. No, not not nervous. I mean, not nervous about underachieving because like the expectation was high at that point. But I, I kind of like, I believed we could do it mm-hmm. with this group. Like I believed we could achieve all of our goals. Um, there was just something special about it. It's, it's kind of exciting. Like man, now we get the chance. But also, it's kind of like it is. It is scary in the sense of like man, this is. I just I just want to enjoy every minute with these guys. Yeah. You know that I guess that was kind of the feeling that we all had was like let's just enjoy every minute of this. You know, because it just was a special, it was a special time, special group. Yeah, no, I remember like that was the funnest season ever. Like just from being a full player, and it wasn't like oh, I'm going to practice. It's like no, okay, let's get to practice, bro. let's go. Yeah. And then I remember like that that fear started to set in when the playoffs began, because first off, you it starts to it starts to set in like you you are a senior and you're in the playoffs. That means your career is over if you lose, right? And I'll never forget it, like. We're sitting in the locker room, we're having fun, and it just kind of was like, yeah, if you lose, that's it. And I was like, God dang, right? And um, I think what it was, it was that meeting where, you know, you, Dover, Hammond, you guys are explaining us, you know, the playoff bracket. First off, we got messed over from the standpoint, yeah, we won district, but that didn't mean anything because our entire bracket was all either 10-1 and or 9-1, and and if you were 9-1, and you lost to the team that was 10-1. and and so you were like, look, from the jump, guys, we have to lock in because this is not going to be easy. And, um, you know, we go 12-1. and one, we, we, we have a good season and, you know, we have some success. And, you know, um, we lose to Temple and, you know, the, our run is over, you know, as far as my class is concerned. So now that season's done. What's your mentality? What's going on? What are you thinking when that season's over? Well, yeah. So actually, at that at that point, I I had known about Aldi when that season ended. It was uh, it was during the kind of like towards the end of the season. Um, Coach Sniffen encouraged me that he just you know it was just such an incredible season that we were having, and he he just said, "Hey, Kobo, man, you're you're doing a great job of the defense. Like you, your value is maybe higher than it's ever been. You maybe should look to see what's what's available if you do want to further your career." And I, and that's what Coach Sniffen was really good about. Like in, in my case, was he. He promoted that, you know, he wanted, even though I, I, I know he wouldn't want to lose me as, as part of his team, you know, he wanted success um, for me too, yeah. you know, and I appreciated that. And um, yeah, so he, I, I had never looked at the job board prior to that. The mm-hmm. job board being this, there's like a thing where coaches can look for open positions. And I, I just never looked at it ever. Mm-hmm. I didn't look when I was at Clements, coach Sniffen asked me to go. And then when I was at Ridgepoint, I never looked at it because I was going to just stay there until I don't know when, you know, <laughs> but then, you know, he told me, look, and I saw Aldine and I just was really attracted to it. You know, Aldine has a, such a rich history 
and uh, it's just kind of fallen on harder times, you know, in terms of the football performance. And uh, I'm just, I like underdog stories. I've always, always kind of been that way. Like, yeah. I, I would all, I would have long arguments with other coaches. Like, I, I'd find some underdog player that I liked, you know, and I would just really believe in them. And I just I always stuck by those guys. And so I, I was attracted to that big time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of – I had already kind of applied by that point, so we're right around when it was finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was just a really – that was an emotional time because yeah. um, I, I loved Ridgepoint. I mean, I, I kind of thought of myself in a – kind of like a, a Mr. Panther in a way since I was one of the original people. <laughs> and you guys know, I mean, I was young and single, no family. I mean, I, I spent every day at Summer Fitness. Like, I was with you guys all summer, yeah. uh, you know, because I, I didn't have those responsibilities yet or anything, so I was able to dedicate everything to it. But, uh, yeah, so it was sad, but also exciting, you know, to, to, to move on to another a chapter. And, um, but yeah, and I guess one thing you never got to be a part of, I think you'd already, the seniors already left, but I remember talking to the returning team mm-hmm. when I left for all, like when it, we came and found out that I got the head coaching job at Aldi and I was saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just told them because there was very few returners coming back. Yeah. I mean, it's like five of them, I think. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and defensively, maybe like two. Exactly. Right. You know, I mean, it's very senior heavy defense. And I just remember telling them just to not, not to devalue themselves, to value their worth. You know, like you're going to read newspaper, you're going to read magazine articles that say that you've lost too much and that Ridge Point is the big question mark now. But I just said, always believe in what you can do. I know you can do it. You know, I've seen it. I've seen you guys, and I believe that you're going to do it. And sure enough, they go even farther the next year. That was, yeah, that was you know, crazy. That was even crazy. farther the next year, you know? So uh, it was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So just wrapping up your time at Rich Point, you know, a couple just quick questions I have. It's like, out of all the games that you coached at Rich Point, what was your, what was your favorite win? And what was your toughest loss? Great question. Um, favorite win was Elkins. The really? first game against Elkins. Really? Yeah. The reason being, like, um, it, I just felt like there was so much lead up to it. You know, it just was so much anticipation. Yes. And that was another thing, just like being a new school, like I would coach basketball. Um, I, you know, after my football season was over. And so coaching, like I was coach freshman B or JV or sophomore team basketball. And like those first couple of years when we were new in all sports, like Elkins really kind of pounded us yeah. in a lot of different things. You know what I mean? And uh, it just was, so I, I just really wanted, and I, I just heard a lot about how, um, you know, we were new and we hadn't done anything and they were, they were a great team and having a lot of, success. I just really wanted that one. You know, I just wanted it bad. And, um, so that's what I remember is typically before a game, I was pretty loose and, and easygoing. We played music in our that style that we had was just listen to music and dance, have fun. But I remember the Elkins game, like I was locked in. I had a different mentality. Like I, I was on the verge of tears. Like that's how, even before the game, just for no reason, just because I was just that hyped and focused. And um, that that's why I would say that one was probably my most fulfilling, just because it just was such a, so much emotion uh, was involved in it. There's others. Too, I would also say um, if you want a second, a close second would be beating Marshall the year prior. Yeah, that's so that was a similar thing. Number one, that, that might be number. Man, you know what, Obi? That might be number one. <laughs> it's pretty dang close. It is. Close. I, I just, I still, I, I would take Elkins. Um, just I felt a little more of a rivalry with Elkins. Absolutely. Maybe even though Hightower and Marshall are also kind of like rivals. Like I feel like Elkins was the real rival, and so it was even more fulfilling. But the 
that was a good one. And, uh, you know, one thing I've talked about with you, a really good memory from that, uh, when we, they beat us so bad the sophomore year before that your sophomore year, you know, and, uh, that next year, nobody gave us much of a chance. And that was a big program swinging victory. Yeah. You know, by the next year, people knew we were good, right? When you were a senior, people already knew this first year, people, there's still maybe some question, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't do well, uh, our first year, very, oh, very well, you know, relatively speaking. And then had a couple embarrassing losses to like a Stratford and Marshall and big blowouts. And then starting the next year, you, you met, we talked about, we lost to clear creeks. We didn't get off to that hot start that we wanted. And, uh, the thing about Marshall and just on a personal note, if any of the Ridge point family listens to this, I don't know if you're going to share this to like the Panther football group or anything, but, um, you know, we lost one of our brothers, uh, you know, Chris George passed away a couple years ago. And, uh, that I have a vivid memory of him that I shared, you know, at his, uh, at the, at his wake, you know, center funeral, I, you know, and, uh, it was just, I re- I just remember that game so much. Like I remember we, we beat him at the end. I remember one of your guests, Jay fan, yeah. I sent him on a will blitz and he, he hit the quarterback, quarterback and forced kind of an errant throw that Jordan Tolbert intercepted. Yes. And again, this is a very talented quarterback and running back combo uh, from Marshall at the time, but Jay got Jay just doing what he does, got through there, put a big hit mm-hmm. and uh, led to a big interception that, that kind of sealed the game for us. And I, one of your other guests, CT one time, Cameron Townsend, I remember he was the first guy that I saw yeah. and we just hugged and we were just saying, you know, we did it, we did it, we did it. And that's a beautiful memory of mine. But also I remember Chris George celebrating. Yeah. I vividly remember that just seeing him kind of just like, you know, screaming and ye- yelling and shouting, kind of like just kind of pumping his fists and he's so excited. And, yeah. you know, he didn't play one play of that game. He didn't play one single play. And I shared that at his funeral. And that's just, that's just the kind of guy that he was, you know, he just, he was the, the ultimate thing that you want on a football team, you know? And uh, I miss him, man. I love him. And it, I, I, that, that kind of character is something that just – his life would have just been so successful because he had that in him. Yes. You know what I mean? And so that was, that was hard. So that's another – you know, we bring up another big win. That, that, those two are the ones that, that come to mind. Those are probably my two favorite. Uh, it was fun beating Foster just at the U of H, you know, at TDCU. And that was just such an intense game. And they were, they were really good. Gosh, that was a hard game. That was a hard game. That was like, yeah. first off, first and foremost, you know, rest in peace to Chris George. Yeah. yeah. Ultimate team guy, ultimate teammate, you know, definitely that was a unfortunate thing that happened. But, um, you know, with, with Marshall, you know, that was just that, that win that kind of solidified us as a program. You know, I remember Cam Brown saying, it, that became, it was no longer about who we had to beat, it was who had to beat us. And I really felt that that was that, that moment where, okay, now Bridge Point is legitimately yeah. finally have beaten someone. Because before then, it was like, yeah, they beat this team, but eh, are they really that good? And that right. was the first win we had where it was like, okay, no, nah, these guys are from. Open some eyes. Right. And I felt like with Elkins, like, like you said, that was my favorite win because, like you said, it was just the trash talk. And, like, that game was – so emotional. I, I remember I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear any of the music because I was so just wired. And it was like, like we have to beat these guys. Like I'm tired of hearing them talk. And I remember, um, was that our homecoming or no? No, no, that was the week after. But that game was on the cube. I remember it was on TV. Yeah, on I remember TV. the long TV timeouts Thursday night. And I remember just that game was completely sold out. Yeah, I mean, there was not an empty seat on either side, which you very rarely see these days, you know. So that was, yeah, that that that's why that one really, really stands out in my mind. Yeah, that one, it was loud, it was stressful, it was, 
it was all, but it was everything that you love about football. And I just remember, you know, a little side story was, um, you know, we had our homecoming the week before and we played on a Thursday and That's right. Elkins played on a Friday. So Remus and Deontay and, you know, a couple of other guys were like, yo, let's go watch Elkins play. And I remember us getting there and, you know, we're in our Bridgepoint polos because it was spirit day and everything. And, you know, people are giving a side eye and making comments. And so I'm like, OK, and then it was like just that disrespect factor of like y'all don't belong and blah, blah, blah. So definitely that game was really emotional. And I always and I said, you know, CC, I'm glad we won because that's one of those losses that just stick with you if you don't. Yeah. win. Um, yeah, Boston was probably in terms of a win, like. I was so stressed out after that game because as a player, that was a tough game to win because they they did the sprint out action, so it was tough to pass rush. You're getting frustrated um, because you're trying to get the quarterback, and as soon as you think you got him, it's out of his arm. And, it, you know, um, they ran their routes perfectly. Um, you know, they were very talented, had a lot of speed at wide receiver, and they really were going to challenge you downfield and everything. Um you know, so again, that was a big win. It was only a first round matchup, but it was like one of those things like you knew that you just beat a really good football team. So, hey, to answer your other question of the worst loss, yeah. uh, the worst loss was the year prior to Stratford for me. Really? Yeah. I mean, even I know that I know you, you and CT, it really touched my heart that you guys are still so beat up about the uh, Temple loss, but that one, man, that honestly, yes. <laughs> That one didn't hurt me so much just because I really – I felt like, man, we really left it out there. I mean, it hurts that we couldn't – we played really good defense, especially that game, you know, stopping the run was what I thought would be the hardest thing, and we did that, you know. So that you – know, I, I just was – that was – I felt fulfilled after that one. The, but I felt empty after Stratford because that was the one where, again, expectations were high. They had throttled us the year before at Mercer Stadium. But I was like, you know, man, we are better this time. We're going to make it – we're going to stand up to them. And that was where, again, I, I felt like I made a tactical error in the way I was teaching my inside linebackers. And I just – it was just that powerless feeling of watching it happen over and over and over and over and over again. And I know one of the questions you asked me or in, in our notes leading up to this was about making a, an adjustment in-game, you know, and doing it faster. And I, that game was where I really honed my craft in adjusting faster. Yeah. And uh, I, we can talk about more. I know it's one of the segments you had, but uh, that game, I, I was—I beat myself up, up over that for a long time. That—that uh, yeah, was—that was the most. That was my most demoralizing defeat. I put a lot of it on myself because I knew that that year we, you guys, had the physical ability to play with them. Yeah, it wasn't any more that we were getting blown off the ball. You know, like the year prior, like now we can stand up to them, but we just had a couple of little things that a good team like that's going to take advantage of. And I, I wasn't able to put you in the right spot. And so I feel like I, I wanted to guard against that. And I and honestly, look, going into your last year, my last year is DC. I can, I can confidently say there was zero times where I felt like I put you guys in a bad position. Yeah. You know, I re honestly feel that way. Like we, we were, we were in position. We gave ourselves a chance to win. So that, that all stopped after that Stratford game. So that's why it was such a hard loss. But that's the thing that I think you're trying to teach in your podcast is yeah. don't just beat yourself up over the loss. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? You know, and so that opportunity from the loss made me uh, accelerate my knowledge of, of our defense tenfold. You know what I mean? And it made us better. And it maybe, maybe had we won that, maybe had we somehow found a way to win that game and I wouldn't have done the introspective stuff and improve some things maybe we wouldn't have been as good the next year 
and won some of those tough games. So that's my biggest thing, man, is when you go through adversity in your life and it's going to happen, it's hard. It's very difficult, but try to find what they call the silver lining. Like how can you build from it? What can you take from it? And not, don't just beat yourself up, up over failure. That's what Jay was talking about. Like don't, don't feel ashamed or embarrassed because you failed. Yeah. You know, no, it's great. And 100% agree that, you know, in the end, adversity is going to come in life. It's just part of it. What are you going to do about mm-hmm. it? You know, and how are you going to be better? And sure enough, we were, um, you know, the temple game. Yeah. That one stings because it's like it's your last game and everything, but you know, that is true. We did play them, you know, as well as you really could have played. Yet made mistakes, but so did they. I mean, it was one of those games, like I said. Yeah. You play 10 times out of 10. I know you say 6-4, I say 5. But bottom line, it was going to be close. I mean, two very – I say 6 – and to clarify for the listening audience, I say 6-4 Ridgepoint. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, yes, yes. Honestly, Obi, man, I, mean, I, I think – I would say maybe 7-3 Ridgepoint. I mean, I, I honestly thought we were much better than them because their strength of, like, running the football, we were – that was our strength too. Yeah. And we neutralized it. But they, they were able to make some big plays that I think wouldn't happen consistently again uh, had we played them. And our offense did a great job. I, I, I almost kind of think maybe our matchup with Foster was more five to five or six to four Ridgepoint. I, I, and I, I'm not trying to upset Temple people or anything, but <laughs> and they did great. But I, I honestly, me personally, and again, just from my defensive perspective, mm-hmm. I, I felt like Foster, I felt less in control sometimes. You know, or against Temple, I felt like we were in control for a lot of it in, in the front, you know? So, yeah, yeah I'll be, uh, I'll say, uh, let's just say 6 4. They did beat us. So maybe I'm going a little overboard saying 7 3. So I'll say 6 4. The only reason why, you know, for me, from my perspective, is that I always felt, especially at, with my talent ability and how much I understood our scheme in the game at the time, we stopped the run, but it was very difficult in game. Um, yes. What I mean by that is that Temple had a very strong, gritty country, like country boy O line. They would sling, they would double team you. Um, they they were not afraid to play dirty. With Foster, it caused a lot of stress because of their passing game and everything. But I honestly felt way in control of their offensive line. Like for a defense, you're right. That's a great point. For a defensive lineman, Foster was probably nowhere near as physical for you. Yeah. So for you, it wasn't as physical, stressful as a game. But like for our guys in the back end, yeah, they had to really bring it. To you know what I mean? And so that that's pretty cool. That it's different with every matchup. Mm. You know, I, I say. And another thing, Temple did a great job. We we always did a lot of shifting. Yeah. They were one of the first teams that really handled that. It, it brought us zero competitive advantage at all. Which we always got a couple jumps or a couple mistakes from shifting at the last second. I don't think that I don't think it bothered them one bit. No, it was that, and also um. You know, I felt like with being able to control the line of scrimmage, we Foster couldn't run the ball on us. Temple couldn't run the ball on us either. But it was a matter of I think they just they caught us on a bad day. So I mean, you know, yeah. thinking back on it now, they really weren't able to run the ball that effectively, which is correct, like you're saying. Um, you know, maybe it was the fact that like when I replay it, it's like. You know, they, 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 we made some very uncharacteristic mistakes, you know, blew a couple of coverages and fumbled and things of that nature. But I just remember when I, when that Temple game was over, it was like, dang, we lost because it was, you know, it, was my, it, it bothered me because it was my last game of the season. But then looking back at it, like that Foster game, I was very stressed out. Like, I was just like, bro, like, we beat these 10 men. I feel like we really could have lost at any point. Um, I know. 
And I look at the score and I think it, it was like a 10 point. It, yeah. it, it was like not, it was a little bit of a bigger margin, but it felt to me like a coin flip, man. It just was that intense. But bottom line is that, you know, we played some really good teams that final year of varsity. And um, that playoff run, I mean, we said it at the very beginning, whoever got out of our bracket was going to state. And sure enough, team that got out went to state. Yeah. So, back, you know, last thing is, you know, you talked about it, you learning and you having to learn how to adjust on the fly, yeah. you know, running a scheme, things of that nature. First question I want to ask, because I, I never asked you this, what made you want to switch to a 3-4 instead of a 4-3? Because I got a lot of questions from my parents and things of that nature. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't um, know that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, um, me being a player at the time, I'll, I'll tell you, it was like, man, you guys look small. You guys don't have the, the look of like a KD 3-4, and we were running a 3-4 defense. Uh -huh. So I was getting that question a lot, like, why are we running it? You know, what is the advantage? You're too small. Do you guys think you can run it? I'm like, that's the scheme we're told to run, and we're bought in. So, I mean, that's what we're doing. But what was your mentality? What was your approach, and what bought you into it? Yeah, I don't I, – okay, just to – I don't address that. I don't understand that logic because yeah. most conventional wisdom <laughs> would tell you when you're smaller, you need three D linemen in a 3-4, and you need four of them in a <laughs> – more three so <laughs> typically people you know smaller teams will go to the three four but uh what i liked about it uh wasn't necessary yes i was trying to put i felt like our makeup mm -hmm. was we had a lot of we had good speed mm -hmm. i thought we had good team speed i thought we had a lot of guys who body build was kind of in a tweener position mm -hmm. you know we didn't have like mammoth people or anything that you know a lot of times those four threes you like a big like your brother, you like a six foot four, six foot five defensive end, bookend defensive end, long wingspan. You like that kind of guy. But, you know, in the three, four, what ends up happening is that the three D linemen almost are more like three defensive tackles in a sense, but they, they can play a five technique. But those guys are essentially kind of eating up the middle, you know, whereas a four, three is more of an attacking style of defense and getting up the field. And I just, you know, I just didn't, that wasn't, I didn't think that was our best for us and also i really from my prior experience as an offensive line coach where i cut my teeth where i started my career i always felt it was easier to play against a 4-3 mm -hmm. i felt like the 3-4 defense gave us a lot of problems like on like the back side of a play like with torian had so much success in that four technique yes. I, we, I we had so many problems with that and like with two inside linebackers now that you have to get up to, you have to like double up to those. It just, I, I thought the three, and I, I liked having five guys on the line of scrimmage against the tight end, mm -hmm. you know? And so I just thought it was the best of both worlds for all those reasons. I really gravitated to the way you mentioned Katie, but I love the way that Stratford does it. And also that Klein Collins does it. When my brother was in high school, they played Klein Collins. And I remember thinking it was so weird. This is the first time I'd seen a team that played so far off the ball, like maybe almost like, it felt like almost like two yards. It was just like oddly, like, like, why are they sacrificing so much space? I'm like, I'm thinking like Ryan played for Travis. I mean, dude, just Travis, just run the ball. You're going to easily get positive yardage. And, and what I found was, mm -hmm. yes, they weren't making tackles in the backfield, but they could, Travis could not consistently generate offense. Yep. It was just always, they were building a wall. Yeah. And by backing up, it makes you harder to block. And so they were harder to block. They could defeat blocks. They never ran up the field and created like alleys, you know, and seams for runners. So it was always like gain of two, 
gain a two, gain a one, gain a three, gain a two. And you frustrate people like that. You don't give up, you don't give up big plays like that. That's what we were really good at, both in the secondary and in the run game. We didn't give up big plays. We maybe didn't always get as many explosive blow you up in the backfield because it wasn't our style to like get penetration as much. But we we stuffed people at the line of scrimmage. That's what I was always most proud of. Is I, I like that feeling. It's like we just stuffed them, and uh, it frustrates them because they're not they're not patient enough. Yes. What they should do against our style of defense is just continue to take some two yard gains or throw a hitch, you know, for a four or five. But take those small gains, but stay with it. And teams inevitably can never do that, and they abandon it, go to something else. That, that's why I liked it. I love the discipline of it. And uh, you know, I, I went to a clinic uh, with Stratford's coaches. Because, like I said, I first saw it at Klein Collins. I first saw it and liked it. I liked backing off the ball. And I saw Stratford was doing a similar thing. They played off the ball. And they played the style that I liked with safeties that really fit in there hard. Um, I used to always say safety was an important position in the Ridgepoint defense. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we had two really good ones that you played with. Because, like, those guys had to play pass. But we also expected them to get in on the run. And that's another reason we're so good against the run. Besides the front seven, those safeties were a big part of it. But anyway, I learned it at a clinic from Stratford. Uh, Elliot Allen was the head coach there when you played, and he's now the head coach at Brenham. Awesome coach. He was at Stratford for like 16 years before I went to Brenham, and they were always good. And he is just a, is a good person that we were in the same district. We had, we're going to play them. Yes. And he was no secrets. He shared with me everything, what they did, how they did it, because he just wanted to help another coach and that instantly made me gain respect for him so if you're if you live out in brenham you know you, you're listening you you've got a good ball coach out there he's a great one yeah. and like i said no ego no selfishness he's just a good person yeah. and that's why i think a big part of his team's success but he helped me he shared everything with me and so finally like i was telling you after after visiting with him i finally had my vision of what i wanted our defense to look like i finally had that identity and we were able to buy in. Our coaches were all on the same page, and you guys got onto the same page. And that's when we really started playing better. Because that's another thing I would tell for a career or whatever. Trust yourself. Like, you hear a lot of times, like, bet on yourself. Like, Dak Prescott this year, he bet on himself. Yes. Yeah, it didn't work out. But for him, with the injury, but, like, after that last game, his value might have even continued to go up. You know, even after getting an injury, you can kind of see. what he, he believed in himself, and I think it's going to work out for him because he's a good person. And uh, he's a good player. And I, that's kind of how, how I feel for anyone listening. Like, at the end of the day, do it the way you want to. At the beginning, I was too new and naive. And I was just trying all these different things. And eventually, you got to put your stamp on it. Yes. you got to really do a lot of introspection of what you want. And you got to go make it happen. And that's what I did by learning from Elliot Allen um, and getting my guys on this, my coaches on the same page. And they were awesome. Coach Hammond, Coach Dober, Coach LaFavors. You know, those guys, uh, they were great, you know. And so we were all on the same page. And I think another thing I'm really proud of the, our style is I thought I, I thought I did a lot of teaching you guys why. Yes. I think that's, that's important as a teacher to do that in your classroom, but also as a coach. Like, my style has always been, instead of, like, just doing a bunch of blitzes and, like, say, hey, Obi, go to this gap. And then on this play, go to this, do this. Do, like, I don't like that. I, I like to just play a base defense, but explain in great detail, not just what you're doing, but how that impacts the person behind you and the person next to you. And you do that at every position. So an outside linebacker should know what, how it fits the safety and the defensive end. Mm-hmm. A middle linebacker knows how it fits the nose and knows how it fits his defensive end. And I liked, I always saw the defense in triangles like that. Yes. I saw the defense in groups of three positions, you know, so a nose guard, a mic and a five, a four technique, 
you know, a will and like your Lobo or robber, whichever, you know, so that, that's the way that I saw it. And uh, that's how we taught it. And I think, I think what ends up happening is now the players are smarter. And I think that's how you guys got so smart. You just became so fo- – your football IQ really shot out the roof, could roof because instead of just sprinting to a gap, you started like – we looked at film, you understand like, okay, how do I fit this? Yeah. And we were always in base. And so we learned how to fit all the different plays in base defense. So you learned how to read blocks. That's another thing I don't like when you blitz. You kind of maybe sacrifice reading blocks. Mm-hmm. And I just thought you guys got so good. And so that – anyway, but that's just my style. That's what I believed in. If you believe in blitzing, just get really good at teaching blitz yeah. and teaching the coverage behind it. You know what I mean? Uh, so and my personal, if you want to talk football with me, I don't like blitzing a lot. Yeah. I would blitz, but I liked it as like that surprise curveball that gets you the big play. And we did it against Foster a couple of times with Justin Jackson. We got through Absolutely. on a couple of big Absolutely. ones. You know? So that, that's the way I liked it. But um, yeah, and then to answer kind of, I think your question was alluding to how I learned to make adjustments. That was a Stratford game. I really beat myself up for not being able to adjust enough. And so the way I did it was a lot of off-season study, but also a lot of like relying on my coaches that were with me, Coach Hammond and Coach Dober and Coach LaFavors that, that last year. And we would – what I always asked them, I said, guys, in my, in my personal opinion, whenever you get – there are certain plays where, like, you just see, like, somebody gets beat and it leads to a big play. I'm okay with that. If, if Michael Obi just – if they tell me Obi just got double teamed and he gave up too much ground, that's why there was a hole. Then I'm like, okay, Obi, we'll talk to Obi. We'll fix it. But every now and then there's a certain schematic thing, which I call, like, a gotcha. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just see, like, oh, no. Like, I put them in a bad position. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that we're playing right now, like, that guy, that guy is in too much stress. Like, he's not going to make that play. Yes. I felt like it's, it's unacceptable to try to fix that after the drive's over and you've given them a touchdown. I think the good coaches are the ones when they see something like that, where it's like they schematically got you, you need to fix it immediately. And it's impossible to do that unless you've done pre-planning. Mm. And so that's what we did. That's what I always ask my guys. I say, guys, what do you think they can do to hurt us? Based upon the film that we've seen and based upon the film that they're watching of what our weaknesses are, what do you think they're going to attack? What bind, we call it, put them in a bind. What kind of bind do you think they're going to try to put us in? And so we would list them. Like, I think they could hurt us doing this. I think they could hurt us doing this. And, uh, and then the next question, okay, I agree. We know we've got to be like, and we always try to limit it to three. Mm-hmm. But I'd be like, give me your top three. I like to think in threes always. Give me your top three. Because if we list like 18 different ways they can hurt us, you know, that's not going to have to be there. Mm-hmm. And also we can't teach all those different things to you guys. And so anyway, uh, we'd, we'd come up with the top three. And then the question is, if they find this and exploit this weakness of our defense, what are we going to do? And that's where guys like Coach Han- – a lot of times it was something like the way that we played our defense, maybe they, they could like throw a bubble real quick. Or so. And so we could just change the way like the cornerback's going to play that. So if he sees that, like the corner's going to come take it. Or, or this – you know, like for instance, if we know that we want to play our outside linebacker closer to the line for run – they're probably going to throw a bubble, right? When they see the outside backer come closer, they're going to throw a bubble. So we just had to be ready. And that's what Coach Hammond was so awesome at teaching those guys, like understanding whenever the, whenever the, like you see the outside linebackers playing tight, expect the bubble, like be a, be a, that mental aspect to understand what they're going to attack based upon what we showed them. And that's, that's what happened. Obi. And, and it, it, having smart players, coachable players, great coaches, like those guys, oh my God, those were those guys were such good coaches. Um, that that's how we were able to do it, man. And that's that's what I that's and it made me feel so great that we weren't doing a lot of exotic stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, just going back to, first off, everything you've said, the main thing, first off, is the way you were able to break down your whole philosophy, the scheme, where you developed it from, how you developed it, that's what it takes from the standpoint of right. when you're trying, when someone's asking you something like, what made you do a three, four? Well, I'm able to tell you and break it all down. That was the way you embodied and you instilled that blueprint into us where it's like, no, you know, initially it's like, okay, what is this? And then you were able to teach it to us to where we were able to break down our, our scheme. We understood it to a point where you didn't have to even really coach us. We knew exactly what we needed to do and how everything fit. And I always believed in that. That's why, like you said, my football IQ was so high just on learning football and learning how everything worked. Because initially, you know, you're just playing a position. Yeah. Aaron knows you're responsible for this gap, boom. But then you don't really understand, okay, if I get moved out of my gap or if I get reached or if I, you know, give up too much ground, how that affects everybody behind me. And that's how you get you make mistakes and then you don't really understand it until you see it on film. But by the time you see it on film, you've already gave up a big play, you've already lost the game. So it's it's that preventative measure of look, this is what we're trying to do, this is what we try to accomplish, and this is how we're gonna go about accomplishing it as a defense and as a collective and as a unit. And then boom, it all makes sense. It all comes together. And you know, just like you said, those little wrinkles of okay, why do you play so far off the ball? I knew it from being a player. When you play close to the line of scrimmage, made you easier to ear hole because I mean it's literally just a game of angles. You just that's dude. That that's the thing. And I know we, I know your listeners probably don't want to hear us talk about like so much specific X's and O's. So I'll be quick, but that's what I don't like about it. You're really sacrificing yourself for the down block. Yeah. And the thing that made us so good was when we like you and then like Dan and Steve Ann and the inside backers. We would. And Coach Dober taught it so well was like that plus one technique. So whenever if we would see a pull, you know, they would make the pull call. And that would also cause you if you felt that down block to come over the top mm-hmm. and that would destroy that gap blocking. Yeah, because they're counting on being able to pin you down there. But whenever you come over the top, you've destroyed everything. So there's so many times you disrupted plays. Even if you didn't make the tackle, you running back sees 56 in his face. He's got to bounce it now. We got good team speed. We make the play. Our Outside backers don't let the edge. Kaiser don't let the edge get it. So we just trap them, you know, for no gain. And uh, you can't do that when you're up so far. Exactly. As good of a player as you are, even if you knew it, you wouldn't be able to get over that. You have to back up so you have that ability to get over that block. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, that that's – but, you know, so people are always in a question. I mean, I got that as a coach too, coaches questioning what we – and that's in anything. Mm-hmm. When you're a leader, whatever you do, there's going to be naysayers. Absolutely. Someone may say, well – don't you think being so far off the ball, you're sacrificing too much? Don't you think that's not aggressive enough? There's truth in what they're saying. They're not wrong, right? right? I mean, our defense, I would not categorize, even though we were, a, I would say we were an aggressive defense, we were physical, but like schematically, we weren't aggressive. We, play, we were more of a reading style. Uh, so I just, it's just, you got to believe in something. Yeah, you have to you know? buy in, and you have to have it. Be, yeah. You have to be able to explain it. I think if you're able to explain it, yeah. if everybody is on the same page, you'll be. But we, we, hey, we could blitz too. We had the Lobo robber. But I mean, you got guys like Justin and Cameron. I mean, you can send them on a blitz. They can go and get the quarterback. And I mean, we had D Lyman that could defeat you guys. It was harder sometimes. I know you probably wanted to get more sacks. It's a little bit harder because we taught reading technique. Yeah. So it is what it is. Like we, our pass rush for you. I mean, you. But the cool thing was, guys like you and Kaiser and. Uh, Torian, you know, it's birthday today. I saw so happy birthday, Tito. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, you guys were unsell. You, you just did what you, you just bought into the team concept. 
Yeah. You know, so maybe the D line sacks wouldn't, it might've been higher if we played a different style, but like our, I think our team success was the most the way that we did it. Yeah. And we all understood that. I think as a collective that, listen, my job as an old is to take up double teams and to make sure that you're in the right place and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's the whole thing. Going on now, so you, we have that great season, 2015. You decide to become a head coach, and you take on the challenge of going to Aldean High School. What was the – I mean, you had always said that you wanted to be a head coach, and they gave you an opportunity. So what are you walking into? And just take us through that experience um, being at Aldean. Yeah, the kids at Aldean were great. I mean, you got to meet them. I mean, it was so awesome when you guys came up to support me at that basketball game and helped, helped me try to build that, bring some of that same culture and spirit from Ridgepoint, and we had a lot of fun that night. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that I, if I could have just been the head football coach at Aldean, I'd probably still be there. But I, it, whenever you become a head coach and coordinator, you just you have other administrative duties, mm-hmm. and you just kind of get pulled away from it. Yeah. You know, you get pulled. And then that's, I guess that's what I cut my teeth on. I enjoyed was as a defensive coordinator, like that's the relationships I like yourself or, you know, other guys, you know, that I still can, you build such a strong relationship that, that people still want to connect with you. And then as you kind of move up the ladder, sometimes it's harder to be as uh, build that connection with your head coach for one, they have to be over everything. So they, they can't pay special attention to a certain position group where you can really build those strong, you know, relationships. And also they get pulled away a lot to handle problems. Yeah. And I'm sure there were so many issues that Coach Sniffer will have to handle that you guys didn't even know about that they had nothing to do with football. They went, they, and that's what really got me was like the other sports. You know, you're having to manage everything that's happening in all the other sports on your campus. Mm-hmm. And so it takes away it – just, it just was different, man. It wasn't what I envisioned. Like the cool part is you're still the leader of the football program. And so you can, ha- you can have that ownership, but I-, I just far preferred being a defensive coordinator. I just kind of like having, or, you know, even I, I was have a defensive coordinator. I could even just be an inside linebackers coach or any, you know, position coach. You just have your, your group, you know, and um, I just found that I preferred that, you know, and I found that that was my dream, but I, I don't think that was what I was best suited for. Um, and maybe I was young. Maybe if I had another crack at it, I could do a lot of things differently and I grew and I got better. I definitely got better as a coach, you know, through that experience. But I just, you know, I was like, you know, that was always my dream and I did it at a really young age. And so it's kind of like when you have a dream and I mean, I was very blessed that everything happened for me Yes. in my first chapter of my life. I quickly advanced. I was given the, the blessed uh, opportunity to coach really good players like yourself and the guys you bring on your show. And that helped me get a head coaching job. No doubt. hundred percent. Like it's the <laughs> players, you know, it's not the coach. And, uh, and it was my dream, but like when you get there and it's not what you thought, that's a big thing, right? Like, and I know you, this is not just about football. This was, I think is good for maybe your listeners. It's like, you may have wanted to do something your whole life and then you do it and you find out like, whoa, this isn't what I expected. That's what I was going through. Yeah. And I just felt like, man, I, I feel like I've got enough in the tank or I've, I, I've built up enough respect in the profession that I think if I want to go back to coaching, I can. You know, I mean, I know Coach Stiffen asked me a couple times to come back, and uh, I know there's maybe I'm, hopefully Coach Hammond would let me on his staff. You know, if he listens to this and Seven Lakes and work with Coach Dover, if that ever if I ever came back. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just felt like I want to try a different challenge at that point. But I could always come back, and I and, you know, and uh, that that's what happened. So I would just I just say trust your gut. You know, I thought since I was a seventh grader I was going to be a coach for my whole life, and it just didn't work out that way. You know, and that's okay. It, it's scary though. To leave coaching when you're at the top, like, man, I, I did all this sacrifice to get to this position. I'm going to know, I'm going to willingly walk away. 
Yeah. And it's great. You know, that's, that was hard. You know, that's scary because I was trained in coaching. I don't have any engineering degree or anything. There's only a limited number of things that I can go do a limited number of careers that I can go, you know, pursue now, you know? So, uh, I would say for career wise, just, just trust yourself, you know, and just trust your happiness. I wasn't the same coach Kobo, but at, at the end of it, man, the guy that you guys know and you guys love or whatever is, is you know, I, I wasn't that I couldn't bring that same energy because I, you know, I was being sapped away of doing other roles that weren't football, you know, and I just found it wasn't for me, you know, and uh, I liked being that positive. So I just felt like I wasn't able to give enough anymore. The second, as the second year went on, I just, and so that's why I felt like I needed to change, you know, but I, I love the time at Aldean. Those kids are awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it moved on to the next chapter of my life and that wasn't easy, man. I worked a lot of different jobs trying to get a foothold in, uh, in sales was the career I went into. And, you know, when you're starting at the bottom, I mean, you, you got to start from the bottom, you yeah. take, take jobs that, you know, maybe not what you, which really what you want, but you're just trying to get a foothold and they're not always the best opportunity. And I, I finally scratched and clawed my way to getting an awesome job of a Dactronics. And so people that are in sports may know them. They make like jumbotrons. So like Mercedes Benz stadium in Atlanta, Dactronics minute made here in Houston, that, that jumbo, that, that's Dactronics. That's my company. Yeah. Uh, the world series, globe life park in Arlington, Dactronics, you know, like, it goes on and on and on. Right. And I worked for that company and I was working and selling uh, video displays, you know, jumbotron to high school stadium. So it was like, a, it was like a dream job. Yeah. You know, I was still working in the same place that I love. I got to be around coaches who are like my coaches are my heroes ever since coach Kitterman. And now my friends that are coaching, I love them. And uh, I just kind of found that I like that. Yeah. I'm just such a fan of coaches that I almost kind of preferred not being one of them. Cause when you're doing it, you're so focused on your team. You can only see your team. You have to have tunnel vision. I liked getting out. And then now I, I started doing broadcasting. Like I'm, I'm a high school football broadcaster. I try to do three games a weekend if I can. So I still go to high school football every weekend, <laughs> fall, and usually two, three nights a week. And I love it. And I guess that's what it's like, honestly, it's like my honor to interview those coaches in pregame and like meet all these new coaches. And just, I just think, I think the world of coaches I always have since I was a seventh grader. And then on through, and I just, I like being a, I like being a fan, I'm like a fanboy of you know, coaches, you know, and I like being able to bring more, hopefully legitimacy to my sport, to their sport. Like I take broadcasting seriously. I do my homework. I prep, I, I do pregame interviews. I, I do my, I want the fans that are listening to realize like, this is a big deal. And I want to try to bring as much attention, positive attention I can to kids and coaches. And so even though I'm not a coach anymore, I don't have that honor of being that title, uh, I'm happy that what I'm doing is hopefully bringing knowledge to that. Um, but anyway, I, I guess the, the thing with Dactronics, unfortunately with the pandemic, I was laid off. Mm. You know, I was recently laid off. And obviously the sports industry has just been decimated uh, with COVID cancellation of games, games of no fans, games of reduced fans. Uh, it's really hit the business hard. So I, I made it through the first round, but then I was a part of the second round of layoffs, you know? So um, while I'm just thankful that I, I had the opportunity, but it became again, like, are you just going to sit here and be upset about it? Or are you going to move on? Yeah. And the good day, yeah, I went right to work. I started applying all over the place and I was telling you off air before we started, I had a great job interview just yesterday that I think is pretty positive. I think that that'll be um, a fit, you know? So that's, I guess that's my point for anyone listening. Like I've, I've done it all, man. Coaching to lots of different sales jobs to finding your dream job after a, after a couple of years of failing, essentially. Like I felt like I kind of felt like a failure. I mean, that, that's another thing I can talk. I know I'm just going way too long, but like, you know, I was like at one point in my life, I was a head football coach at a 6A high school. 
Mm-hmm. And I left it all to try sales and I'm not able to find a good position that I love. And I was like, I felt like a failure. Like, is it ever going to work for me? And then Dactronics happened. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, that's my point, Obi, is just it t- take years, but just whatever you want to do, stick with it. Yes. I, you know, just stick with it. And, uh, and then now this new opportunity, you know, it, it'll still be in sports, you know? And so I, I think it's another great opportunity where I can continue to do my broadcasting and be around high school football and highlight those guys that are my friends, you know, like coach Hammond and coach LaFavors and all the, all the other coaches across the city, you know? So, um, I'm really lucky, you know, and it, uh, that's, that been, and it's been up and down and up and down, you know? So that's all you listeners. Um, it's normal. You know, you know, everybody just, just keep, just, just, just do, like I said earlier, bet on yourself, you know, believe in your plan. Don't do anything because of pressure from someone else or this, that, and the other, just believe in what you're doing. And uh, I think eventually with time, it ain't going to happen overnight. Like I said, I've, it took me many years to kind of get to the roles that I wanted since I left coaching, you know, but um, that's kind of my story, man. (laughs) So I hope it helps. No, and I was, no, it's great just to hear your journey and to hear your mentality and your approach and how you never let anything keep you down for too long. And you're a guy who always practice what he preached from the standpoint. You would tell us, this is your one of your strongest sayings, and I still live by today. Don't ever succumb to fear of failure. Always try, always go for things. And, you know, everything you've said today on this podcast is like, this is why – this is largely why I am the way I am today. Like his, your influence over me and, you know, you always believing in us and believing in, you know, us as people and talking to us and always taking the energy out to teach us life, not just the game, but applying life to sports, you know, and um, I'm just, you know, I'm just thankful that I've been able to get to know you and that you were willing to come on and do this. And, you know, I just came with listeners because everything that I've wanted to do with this podcast has been embodied in the things that you're saying today. No, Obi. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I want to say, Darren, is we're going too long, but that the thing I had forgotten I said that until I listened to your podcast of Jay Fan about that fear of failure thing. And what, what I'm just talking about for any young players that maybe listen to this that you're trying to mentor, it's like hanging your head. I see that all the time. Like before, like at, at the first sign of adversity, you see guys start to droop their shoulders and hang their head, and then it, it snowballs from there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Fear of failure. Like to me, it's like you're letting that fear of being in a one-on-one situation, having to cover a dude or make a tackle or this or go against a, an incredible double team from two good offensive linemen. And you're like, you're succumbing to the fear of failure. And you, now they're really going to whoop your butt. Yes. And, you know, and it's the same thing in life when you're going for your career. If you're afraid to go after what you're going to do, you're just you're never going to achieve it. You know, and th- that's what I was that's what I was talking about. And I. Last story, man. I tell too many stories, but I remember I was in college. My brother was a seventh grader playing middle school football. Mm-hmm. I was five hours away. Mm-hmm. I had enough time. I had an off day. I was coaching for the Austin College football team at the time as a graduate assistant. I had enough time that after I, I worked or after I finished my morning class, I left around lunchtime, drove five hours home to Sugarland, and I came straight to the stadium to watch his game. Mm-hmm. They got their butts whooped. Mm-hmm. And I remember just they would walk off, they would walk off the field with their heads down. Mm-hmm. And I was fuming <laughs> and, and, and I had to go back to school that night. Yeah. So the game was over and I had to go drive back to Sherman five more hours. So I drove 10 hours to watch my brother get his butt kicked and walk off the football field. Right. And uh, my mom, I remember my mom was like, after the game, like I, I was really mad. And my mom's like, Jimmy, aren't you going to go say bye to Ryan or say hi to Ryan? That's my brother. Yeah. I said, no, I'm, I have to go home. I'm out of here. I'm, 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 I'm upset. 
Yes. Yes, I'm driving and it was around Huntsville that he called me. I made it to Huntsville heading north. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my mom calls, hey, Ryan's, and Ryan's like, hey, hey, you know, hey, Jimmy. And I'm, I let him have it. Right. <laughs> I scream and if I said, don't you ever walk on a football field again. <laughs> and that's kind of that's that they were just they were succumbing to failure. Yeah. And I got no problem that you get your butt kicked. Yeah. You know, but it's like Jay was describing. You get up and Jay has no problem with losing, but he's going to give everything. To the end. And I was so mad that, that uh, he walked up. And, and the, you know, the cool story about that. And me and my brother are extremely co- close. I watched his career as he went on to Travis, became an all district, two time all district player at Travis, yeah. offensive lineman, um, got a scholarship for deep snapping at Division two central Oklahoma. I watched out all those games. He never walked off the field again. There you go. He ran off every single time, and then he would, as like the defense would come off, he'd he'd stand on the sideline and he'd give them high fives yeah. as an offensive lineman. And you know what I mean. And he just got it. And now he's a coach. And that's the thing. Like even though I don't have the, and that's the last the thing I miss about coaching is guys like you, and CT and Jay and all those guys that you have on your show. Like I miss building those relationships. Yeah. I don't get to build new relationships of new younger generation of guys like you. That's what I miss. That's the, that's the biggest thing I miss. That's what I've sacrificed to do other things, you know, but at least I have you guys. And so I want to stay connected with y'all. And uh, I appreciate you, you know, inviting me to this, but you know, I know I, we went way too long, man. Nobody probably listened to this start to end, but uh, just, just <laughs> be for yourself, yeah. you know, and uh, you, you'll be all right. For sure, coach. And I appreciate you just coming on and, um, you know, everything that you've been able to teach me and everything that you've been able to say today. And, you know, yeah, this has definitely been a long one, but a lot of knowledge, a lot of insight. And for anybody who gets a hold of this, I'm sure that they'll have a whole encyclopedia of wisdom that they will be able to have bestowed on them. Um, last, you know, I always like to finish every episode, you know, final quick hitter, just what is your final gem that you want to say to the next generation, to, you know, these young kids, your last thing you would want to bestow on them? Believe, there you, go. you know, believe, you know, believe in yourself. We've hit on that a lot, but I mean, as far as the next generation, I, I, I think you guys are, are, are good at it as far as more, t- more tolerance, you know, and um, open-mindedness. And I think that's something that we, we discussed a little bit for a lot of the social issues that are going on. Yeah. Um, I just, I really believe in like not telling somebody else how they're supposed to feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, know, you get what I'm saying with that? Like, I don't like it when I see people tell other people how they should feel. Yeah. And I, I just don't agree with that, you know, and, and I, I, you can never know what's, what's happening with someone. So I really, I, I try to stay away from doing that. Actually, and so the, the answer is to listen, take the time to truly get to know people, truly listen, truly build that relationship and come in with an open mind, For sure. but get outside your comfort zone, get to know people. And uh, th- those things will set you up for success. Absolutely. All right. Well said. That's a wrap. The quarter century mark, episode 25 of Four Insight. Want to appreciate my coach, mentor, everything, Coach Kobo, for coming on. You can catch this episode on YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, and all platforms from the podcast. Thank you.